Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. You know, we've got our screens and we're locked in our bedroom and we have snacks and they know like mommy's recording a podcast. <laughs> you cannot come out right now. I'm yeah. sorry that COVID has shut the world down, but go watch your screens and eat your snacks and <laughs> please don't make noise. Yeah, please, please do it quietly. <laughs> they're doing so good. Um, mm. So, okay. Anyways, um, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I am super excited to get to introduce you. Um, most of my audience at this point probably at least knows of you because you've had such a huge, tremendous impact on my life and leadership. And of course, I talk about you all the time and I throw your books into everyone's hands who will listen. Um, so most <laughs> of them have probably at least heard of you. Uh, but for those that haven't, Joe, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you. So excited to have you. Um, and let me just start by asking you to just introduce yourself a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do, all that good stuff. Yep, I'm Joe Saxton. I, um, like many people, wear a lot of hats. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I, if only we were doing just one thing. Um, I am a Brit, <laughs> born and raised in London, but I live now in Minneapolis. Um, I um, married two teenage girls. And in terms of jobs, in terms of what I do, I'm a speaker, I'm an author of a number of books, I'm a leadership coach, um, which is the main way I spend my time, and I, I'm the co-host of a podcast called Lead Stories. Awesome. And we actually had your co-host, Steph, was on um, a couple months ago. She was okay. actually, I think, the second guest that we featured because her book was coming out right then and we wanted to make sure that we got her on too. So we've mm. already got to hear from Steph. So super excited to have you here. So, okay, I warned you there would be an icebreaker question yes. um, because my two, you know, and I say this every time, my two great loves in life are food and leadership. And so I want to start by asking if we were not in shelter in place, various mm-hmm. levels of quarantine, lockdown orders, right now and we could actually gather people around a real table as we have done I have been at tables with you where you were investing in people so many times you've come to invest in my teams I've been part of gatherings that you've done and so I've had the honor of actually sitting at tables with you um, but if we had a group of people gathered what would you literally be feeding us okay I'm, I feel I'm in the mood for some fish and chips actually oh I feel I would do like because we're we're not known know each other. I'd like offer you part of my world, fish and chips. It would have malt vinegar. You'd have malt vinegar. You'd have the option of mushy peas, which sounds terrible to anybody who's not a Brit and who <laughs> likes does. mushy peas. Um, but I love them, so I would let you have the option. But I know that not everybody would want them, so they would be to the side if you needed them. No, but also it would be hot. It wouldn't be like tepid and lukewarm and the odd hot fry. It would all be really hot. Okay. So I have to ask, have you found anywhere here in the States that actually does a legit fish and chips or is ours just kind of the like crappy American version? There has been a lot of sadness in my search. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) I will say there's been some sadness, but there have been some pockets of joy. There have been, um, and certain, um, like there in Minneapolis, there's a Brit, there's a pub called Brits, like the Brit pub. So I always have fish and chips there. There's an Irish pub down the road, which has better fish and chips there. Um, yeah, I, I, you can kind of tell. Yeah. You can kind of tell when you go into a place. It needs to have just enough grunge, just enough authenticity. 
to do to to deliver but yeah you can find some you can find some, there have been a couple of times when i have looked at what has been offered and thought yeah i should have ordered something else yeah this is not gonna do okay so let me ask you this and we'll we'll get to the like actual good leadership mm. stuff but what is it that makes a good fish and chips i mean a legit if we were in the uk what is it that makes oh. it legit okay so if you're in the uk you're not going to go to a, a restaurant for a start you're going to go to a fish and chip shop first okay thing. and because because you'll get there and you'll see that it's everything's frying, which is very encouraging when you can see it frying because you know you get it hot, you get it fresh, you get it good. Uh-huh. And that. Um, so if we were in the UK together, we'd go to a local, you know what? Most, I don't know many bad ones. So you'd go to a local fish and chip shop. Um, if you're in the north of England, they'll give you different options to if you're in the south of England. If you're in the north of England, they often ask if you want it with gravy, curry sauce, or mushy peas. The south mm-hmm. is a little bit more restrictive on that. I'm not sure. And sometimes they offer cheese, which is a new phenomenon, in my opinion. I don't know why we're doing that. Um, do you know what I mean? I think if you're going to do cheese and gravy, you should go to Canada and have poutine because they do it yeah. like, incredibly. <laughs> um, but but you, we, we go and it would be hot. It would be hot, but that's exactly what you want. You don't need a lukewarm thing. You want to feel like you're close to the oil. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's clean and everything, but you just want to feel as close to the oil. They'll wrap it in paper. Not necessarily a newspaper with the print on, but that kind of paper mm-hmm. or in a big cone. You'll ask for extra salt and vinegar because it's got to go all the way through. Got to go all the okay. way through. And you can choose whether you have cod or haddock or sometimes people do place. That's another fit. I tend to do cod or haddock. I tend to just say whatever your biggest one is because yeah. the batter is strong and crispy. It's not too mm-hmm. dark. It's not too, too crispy. Over frying is not going to help because then you don't taste the fish, you see. Right. Okay. It's an excellent experience. Now I know. Well, now I really want to go visit the UK. Yeah, and I'm actually obviously... now very hungry as well. <laughs> that's good. That's what always happens. I ask this question and then we talk about food and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. Yeah. That, and that, that just sounds amazing. And obviously it's, it's what you guys are kind of known for. So I'll never forget one time um, we were, my dad was working in Senegal. And so we went and spent a summer with him over there mm-hmm. and uh, on the West coast of Africa. And this guy on the beach uh, had this little shop and he did like sandwiches and stuff. And he had this one that he called the American. Like that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was and I was like, oh my gosh, he just has summed us up so perfectly. And yet it's so sad. It was a <laughs> loaf of uh, French bread that he would cut in half to make the sandwich. So it was French bread. And the sandwich itself consisted of French fries, scrambled eggs with ketchup on top. Dang. And this was the sandwich. And this was the American. And I was just like, yeah, that, that's okay. pretty much it. And that's okay, sad, that's but cool. actually it was quite good. I will tell you, we <laughs> went down to that little beachside hut and had these scrambled eggs, ketchup and French fries on French bread, um, sandwiches like daily. And it was good. So anyway, <laughs> if you're ever in, uh, Dakar, Senegal, you, you've got to go down. Some options. Get, get you an American. Um, okay. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> the real question then of course is what is it that at least in, in season to season, of course, it's evolving and it's growing and it's changing, mm-hmm. but what is it right now that you feel like you bring to the leadership team? Um, gosh, it's a funny way of thinking about it, really. But I think in this chapter of my life, um, I love to develop leaders. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's something I've always wanted to, to bring to the leadership table is developing leaders. And um, it, I feel in this current era, my assignment is women. I've always felt called to leaders. And for much of my career, I've worked with men and women. I just felt in this particular chapter, the emphasis is women, whether that's equipping men as they seek to equip women mm-hmm. and to see the nuances of their leadership journey or whether it's directly speaking into women. So I think when I'm coming to the leadership table, I'm always asking who's not here mm-hmm. and are, what are we, what are the systems and strategies, not the goals for what we have. There's a quote there, isn't there by, um, 
James Clear from, who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And he said, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the levels of your systems. Mm. And I think that is very true for women in leadership and the yeah. experience of women who are leading that and, and the trajectory of raising up, I mean, to be honest, raising up leaders, period. But, yeah. um, but I think there are special nuances with women that we, our goals aren't the point. The systems that we defend, fight for, deconstruct, reconstruct will determine how fruitful we'll be in raising up women leaders. That's good. So I have a couple of questions then based on that. I love what you mentioned about, you know, when you get to the table, you're looking for who's not here, who's not represented. And I think so often I see, I've experienced some tables that are kind of asking that question, but unfortunately the, um, the journey ends up taking the route of tokenism versus yeah. actual representation and equity. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about that and sort of the difference there and how do we begin navigating what it looks like to actually have inclusion and representation? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, there's got to be an understanding and a, a reminder that if we, there are certain assumptions we can make, and, and this is what I often encourage leaders, there are assumptions we can make. One, men and women are made in the image of God. So of course, mm -hmm. of course, there will be gifted women around. People of every tribe and tongue are made in the image of God. So of course there are um, dynamic black women, Latina women, indigenous women, Asian American women, European American women, whatever, or what you will, they, they will be there. Why? Because they're made in God's image. There are gifts. And now whether those gifts have been invested in or whether they've had access to the things of progression is another thing entirely. But if we go on that assumption, it's not, it, then it will not be good enough for you to say, I look, but I didn't see anybody there. It's like, well, look harder. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying it's an easy search at all, at all. But, um, but, we, but if there's a possibility, if, if we know that people are made in the image of God, then we can expect that we can expect to find them there. We can, yeah. we can expect to find leadership gifts and abilities. So that's the first thing. The second thing in, um, that I think we need to think through in the whole area of equity and stuff is when you invite someone to the table, are they just a guest? Mm -hmm. Because when we turn up to a table as a guest, we are not fully free to be ourselves. Yeah. You know, if, is there room at that table or did you just pull up a chair? It's almost like when you describe the tokenism, um, part of it, it's almost like, Oh, there, sorry, there's no room. Pull up a plastic chair in the corner. You come and you come and watch mm -hmm. kind of thing. Or, um, cause the, the issue isn't just about who sits at the table. It's who owns it. Yeah. Who owns the table and what we do at that table. We, there are things, and I'm not saying it's not, I mean, obviously representation is hugely important, but there's representation in the seating of the table, the conversation at the table, the ownership of the table. We don't want to stop at just visitors to the table because then we feel like butlers yeah. and waitresses saying, yeah. would you like this? Would you like this? Would you like this? Would you like this? And many women have had to show up like that. Right. Um, and many minorities have had to show up like that and say, can I be this? Do you need this? Do you need that? And it's like, oh no, I don't need this. This is the meal we're having. You just get to watch me eat. Mm -hmm. And I get to say you were here. Uh, I think if we're talking about equity, then we are talking about whether people have access and tools to build their own tables. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's and I think that's ultimately what I'm interested in. I'm not just interested in sitting at other people's table as a guest, although mm -hmm. I'm happy to go and eat someone else's food. Of course I am. We've just talked about this. I'm, <laughs> of course I am. But what I'm, but I think the fuller picture, I think there is, there is a fuller picture of what that table can be. Yeah. Because I think there is a, I want, I want to, I want us to give people access and opportunity and an environment and investment so that they can reimagine what the table looks like so that mm -hmm. they can build tables, which may be different shaped, which may be actually not just tables. They're like long, long tables going through barns with open walls in. They yeah. may, 
be rooms, they may be houses. But if we're not giving access, uh, if, if those of us who have power and opportunity and resource aren't um, dismantling our ways to make room for others' ways, we're going to miss out. And, and I think for those of us who have who are wrestling with a place at the table, I think I would encourage them to think through what it means to build your own as well. It's harder and longer mm-hmm. for sure. I think mm-hmm. I spent a lot more time sitting at tables and, and feeling frustrated. Thinking, and what would happen is I would sit at the table and wait, someone needs to do this. Someone needs to do that. And no one would because they were like, oh, you're here. That's enough. Yeah. Or, or they didn't know how. They didn't know how because that wasn't their primary agenda. So I thought, actually, I probably need to just get on and build a table which does the things that are frustrating me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I'm glad you mentioned that too. And you hit earlier, you talked about kind of the idea of deconstructing systems and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, at the table leadership that we're kind of trying to figure out is, gosh, how do we rebuild the table and, and what that needs to look like? And then, of course, too, like you said, equipping people to build their own tables. So when you talk about the idea of some of those systems that are maybe, um, not allowing for or are oppressing representation and equity and things like that. What does that, what does that look like? Cause I think sometimes we're, we have just been raised in these systems. And for mm-hmm. some of us, there's that first step is I just need to understand what this system actually is and how yeah. it was built before I can even figure out how to deconstruct it. I know for me and my journey, um, as a woman, even just understanding how mm-hmm. certain aspects of the system have been built in very patriarchal ways. And I was mm-hmm. never able to actually put a mm-hmm. finger on why is this not working for me? Why is this so difficult? Why is this uncomfortable? Yeah. Because it, it wasn't necessarily built for the the needs and the lifestyles and the gifts of women. Um, and even, you know, with racial reconciliation work, I've mm-hmm. had to, you know, do so much work of, of educating and understanding. Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many systemic issues and they go back for hundreds and hundreds of years. We have to understand this. And so if we're talking about some of those systems and deconstructing them, I think it's important for men and women to hear, you know, women in the position that I was need to be able to look around and identify, Ooh, these are places where the system is not helping me. Let's see if we can deconstruct and rebuild this. And for men to also do that same work of recognizing. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about that when we talk about systems that are oppressive and just not helpful for us. What do you really mean by that? And what does it kind of look like for us to do that work of deconstructing and then rebuilding a little bit? I think, I I mean, I think you identify an important dilemma because I think if we've benefited from that system, we don't always see it as problematic. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've just had just enough exceptions of people who've clawed their way through. Yeah. um, And, and, um, and the thing with systems is that they don't, they seem effective. They don't always seem evil Yeah. as well. But, um, but there are some practical things in terms of um, if you like leadership opportunities are opportunities aren't just applied for, they are yeah. networked. I think there was a study that LinkedIn did recently, which found that 85% of jobs were found through networking. Wow. 85. I think it was, and they did it in conjunction with, I don't know, it was Serving Monkey or American Express or somebody, but it was this partnership and they did this research about the jobs. 85%. There you are trying to do your wonderful resume mm-hmm. and making it tight, but actually it was who you knew. Well, then, then we, when, when we think about the system of how people get to know people, because you want to you work out a relationship, but particularly in ministry, people are like, I want to know people and I've gotten to know them. Well, does that woman have access to get to know you and you to get to know her? What does that mm-hmm. look like? Because if it's golf, yeah. if it's a time of day, is there a certain time of day? Is there a certain environment? It's a system. It's not, it's not deliberately oppressive. 
Mm-hmm. It just doesn't think of somebody who doesn't have a particular socioeconomic group. Yeah. Or lifestyle. And, and so we take the print, the principles good, but the structure around that gives you limited impact. It's not that it gives you a bad impact. It's just limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and in some ways it's something that's really innocuous. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the things that we value, maybe we, we, we have to be mindful of things like, I, I remember having a conversation with a leader a few, about 10 years ago. And he's, and we, uh, we were talking about raising up women leaders. And I said to him, um, he, he goes, you know, when I meet leaders, I said to him, I goes, this is a problem. He said to me, when I meet leaders, if they really want something, they let me know. They go for it. They talk to me. And he goes, I'm not, he-. and we were talking about a particular woman and, and, and he goes, I'm not hearing that from her. I'm not hearing her come and say, invest in me, train me. And I said, because what single woman is going to come to you and say, I, because his thing was, they come, these leaders come to where I am. They work to follow me. They do all this kind of stuff. They show me that they're available to serve. They sacrifice, they make all this time. And, and I said, I agree with that. But if that woman did that with you and said, hey, I want to come and stay, come to where you, your team are and spend a few days and learn from you, you will be calling me for a very different reason. Mm-hmm. You would say, I said, what single woman in her right mind is going to feel able to do that and not be seen as the person trying to wreck your marriage? Yeah. What married woman is going to feel able to do that? I said, she, because you're able to do that because other people are, other parts of your village are making that possible. Who is making that possible for her? Because you've got to, I said, I understand the value, but I said, do you realize how you are inadvertently excluding lots of people? Because this value, your interpretation of how you raise up leaders is actually more gendered than you realize. Mm-hmm. And actually, wow. actually more financially metered than you realize because they've got to be able to afford to spend time with you. They've right. got, they can't be bivocational. They've got to have the resources because your definition of skin in the game is that they would sacrifice their time, money, and energy to be there. Well, that's great if you've got the time, money, and energy, and it's the right thing, unless it's not. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's limited. And, and yeah. it all makes sense, except it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't and work. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And we have to understand that we experience these things differently. Yeah. Without, and I'm not even saying as an accusation. I'm just like pointing out. And, and it, I mean, to his credit, he was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And he was like, oh my God. And he was like, whoa, this is not what I was trying to do at all. And I said, I, right. I, said, I'm, I said, I'm with you. You were not trying to do it at all. Yeah. I said, that is not your intention, but intention doesn't change impact. Mm-hmm. And the impact that you're seeing is that lots of guys who look like you and who are like you are coming through and no women are. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're shy and it's not that they're not gifted and it's not that they're not called. It's that the system that the, the channels through which leadership development is happening, they are, or they can't get through. Yes. And so it behoves us to find other ways. Right. So from your experience, cause I know you've had a lot of it. Can you give just a couple quick ideas, um, practical examples of, Hey, can we do it another way? Okay. So what does that other way look like for someone who's listening? Who yeah. says, yeah, I actually, I'm, I totally get this. You're right. I see that mm-hmm. I absolutely have a, a, a gender or socioeconomic based, you know, whatever mm-hmm. leadership pipeline. And I really want to do something different, but gosh, what does that even look like? People that you've seen do it really well or, or things that you've even implemented, what does that look like practically? How do we do it better? I think one of the ways we do it better is we ask those people involved. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, I think there's a lot of times when we've wanted to give somebody a voice, but they don't, it's actually that we need to hear the voice they actually have mm-hmm. and, and hear the stories. And, and so, and, and the ways we can do that with open-ended questions are things like, okay, I really, and whether it's survey or what, I mean, in, in our current time and moment, 
the digital world is our friend. Yeah. Because we can, we can gather a group of people and they, we can gather a group of men and women and say, hey, I'm really committed to leadership development, but I'm aware that perhaps it's been one dimensional in the past. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Neutral language. And that it's been one dimensional in the past. And, and that's not, and, but that one dimensional has produced one kind of leader, but it means I'm missing out on all these other people who are made in the image of God, who have gifts and, and, and abilities and talents that will bring something else and maybe take what I'm doing in different directions, but exactly, but it's exactly what God is doing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what sort of, what are the barriers and what are the opportunities you see? What are the economic barriers? What, what are the time barriers? Is the time of day a barrier? I, Assume I know nothing. Yeah. Assume I know nothing because I might not. And I can't, and I, and the things that might be obvious to someone else may not be obvious to me. So assume I know nothing and say, this is why I couldn't be at this thing, or this is what's lacking in this environment. These are the Mm -hmm. barriers I have. Let me hear how you've experienced it in the past in ways that's helped you and and experienced it in ways that's harmed you. Mm -hmm. And some suggestions on how I can be- begin to find a way forward. I think that's an important thing to do um, because then we can be sure it's contextual. Right. I think, uh, I mean, I have been thinking a lot about the privilege that's involved in leadership development mm-hmm. and wondering, I just, I, ha- I don't have any answers about it yet. I'm just wondering and thinking when we have made a sign of skin in the game economic, what does it cost us? Mm-hmm. And is that, healthy right limited now obviously things need to you know you've got bills to pay all that kind of stuff. i get all of that but i'm just wondering it's something i'm just processing through right now and thinking economically what how do we do this i mean obviously the initiative you and i were involved in together i stopped for that very reason it's like this is great everybody but no one could afford it yeah it can't and whether people should afford it or can't or shouldn't afford it it's not the point if it can't be done, it can't be done. And, and I need to not take it personally as an issue of value about me or value about the thing. It's right. just that if it, the very price point is getting in the way of the goal. So. Yeah. Right. And leaves people dependent in, in difficult ways. So I've been thinking a lot about the financial, the financial understanding that if you're really passionate about something, or if you're really committed, then you'll pay the money. And thinking, where is that limited? because as a child now I can pay for things now certain things now I mean hello economic recession 38 million yeah. hours changing for all of us right. but um when I was a teenager I had leadership potential when in my young adult years I had but I had zero money and when I say zero money I don't mean I had a trust fund I had zero money and I'm from a family which had zero money and um and would I would not have been if I mean in, this is uh, almost tangential. I wouldn't have been able. To, I couldn't have afforded to go to college if it wasn't free in England at the time. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? The, it, when I said I had no money, I'm like, where are the bills going to get paid? And mm-hmm. that's so. Does that mean I wasn't a leader that I didn't have because I didn't have? Do you, do you see what I mean? I think that's what I'm. Right. And so I think we. I think it's something for us to think through when we're considering how we lead. Now the great thing is with podcasts and other stuff like that, we have accessible ways of doing things now mm-hmm. I, I just i just think that I, I think if you're going to start talking equity you have to start thinking finance and access don't you 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that's one of the things I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's something that I'm just in the process of, I feel like observing and doing the same mm-hmm. thing, looking and watching and wondering, because really what I want to do here at the table is to democratize leadership development, yeah. you know, but in order talk about giving access and making things affordable and accessible, you know, that's what I want to, to do here at the table is make leadership development affordable and accessible. But for someone who's not ever felt like they had access before, you know, there's, it's, it's like, there's that, that gap, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that, that, that gap of, Hey, I, it goes beyond just, um, thinking about the economic impact. It goes just beyond, Hey, we're making this affordable. We're making this accessible, but how are we going to seek out and find these leaders, you know, who, where maybe your story was, was like an exception, but how do we make that the rule? How do we make your story, not the exception, but make that just the general rule. How are we, um, how are we drawing and inviting and where are we seeking out these leaders who have amazing potential, but wouldn't even begin to consider pursuing it because it's just never been accessible and available to them. And what does that even look like? And I don't, I don't know. I don't have answers yet, but that's what I'm trying to just watch and observe and, and kind of pray into. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge because I think if you are in that place where you have had access to those things and you're living in the same world as the people around you, you don't realize, you don't always know that it's not as accessible to somebody else. Right. You don't always know the, that the very innocent, natural, good, good things that you do may have a massive impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is why that some listening is involved. And I think we yeah. have to assume that this is, you know, we're changing a culture. You don't do that with one class. It, you, right. do you know I mean, it's, this isn't an overnight change. You may have to look at all your relationships and think, yeah, it's no wonder I'm not getting any proximity to anybody else. I don't have proximity to anybody else who's, who's not like me mm-hmm. in my life. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and we may need to, so that this is a, the long view. I remember when I first, um, in one of the first areas where I just thought, okay, I need to work out how to coach women leaders and, and wanting to make sure I saw fuller representation. And I was, I was in white majority spaces and I thought, well, that's not, this isn't okay. And then I, and needing, basically taking a year of fasting and praying into it. Yeah. And starting with the spiritual battle before I got to the next one. And, and not that it was like, I'm only going to start doing this once I've had a year of fasting and prayer. It was almost like, I'm going to start this and I'm going to start by praying and saying, God, I don't even know where to begin. I'm going to assume I'm going to fast and pray because my casual prayer life on this hasn't changed anything. I mean, it has real talk. It hasn't. But so I'm, if, if this is something, if, if I'm saying, and I'm identifying systems and strategies and things which are not, which are holding people back and holding opportunity back, then I need to pray those, pray into those in significant ways. And, um, and so I, I remember pr- beginning that prayer process and looking a year later and thinking, okay, the nature of my groupings are completely different now, but it started there. And then the next step was I'm needing to seek out and 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 not stop seeking out and listen and hear and, and um, keep my eyes open for what the father was doing. Um, and, that, and then making things accessible and making mid-course adjustments on the things I was planning because it needed to work better. And think, right. should I try this? No, nope. should I try that? No. Nope. And hearing the voices of you and others around me thinking, okay, this will work, this won't work, or let's try it like this, or let or just experiment. Lots of experiments. Um, I think of even the short time we've known each other, the amount of experiments we've done of different ways of a pop-up and a this and a that. And do you know what I mean just different way, but just to see, just as a way of learning how yeah. to serve the people you're called to lead. Um, mm-hmm. and even in leadership development, you are serving those people by developing their leadership gift. 
So if yeah. I'm serving, I'm not inviting them to... Again, it's, it's, it's a different language of the table, isn't it? It's not just, hey, come to my table. It's like, I'm leaving my table, I'm taking my goods and I'm coming to your world. Yeah. And I'm feeding you with the food from the table. And I'm, but I'm also coming with tools and they may look a little bit weird and threatening at first, but I'm saying, hey, see that table you see there? You could have a table like this. Mm-hmm. You can build with stuff like this. Or maybe you don't want to build a table like this. Maybe you want to build something else. These are the tools that, you, that, that built that table that you see. Yeah. Because I don't want you just to sit at it because you are, your gift and abilities are about more than sitting here and making mm-hmm. me look good. Your gifts are about the Great Commission and playing your part in it. And whether it's in business, whether it's in entrepreneurship, whether, wherever it is. Yeah, that's cool. That's so good. And I love what you said about experimenting too. You know, I think that's one of the things that we, we cannot be afraid to do. And our yeah. identity has to be so solid and so mm-hmm. set and so yeah. grounded that w- we can experiment because experimenting and trying different things mm-hmm. comes with, it requires a ton of um, humility. And like yeah. you said, posturing ourselves to listen and to learn and Hey, let's try this and see if it works. And if not, I want to learn why. And I want to know how I completely, you know, messed this up and experimenting usually comes with a lot of failure and so gosh getting that identity set so that we can experiment and try things and and put those ideas out there is is so critical and and speaking of identity and experimenting and leadership and things like that you've got so many good resources and and so much good content that you've written Um, but your your latest book that's out right now ready to rise um, talk a little bit about about that and what you kind of what you've put into the heart of that book Mm-hmm. I mean, it began, the Ready to Rise for me began as a result of meeting lots of women leaders of every generation, of every ethnicity, um, in different countries all around the world who were bursting with potential, mm-hmm. very clearly bursting with potential, but were kind of muzzled by lack of opportunity, lack of access, um, feelings of imposter syndrome, not being sure of the next step and kind of wanting someone to say, where do I go with this? How do I go with this? Um, and seeing women in various stages of frustration, some to the point of tears, because it's like, I've been doing this for years and getting nowhere and it's burning me out. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, and I'm not even doing what I feel called to do. Um, and it's such a waste for the kingdom of the Lord. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a waste on those women. It's a waste. Um, it's a waste for those women and their energy. And it, and it, and it, if only it didn't impact the rest of their lives, their mental well-being, and their relationships, but we know it does, but it's also, it costs the kingdom as well. You know, the, you know, the businesses that aren't starting, the scientific discoveries not made, the churches not planted, the nonprofits not birthed, the creative pursuits not, um, not done all because these women are kind of left locked and locked in. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and so ready to rise began out of that asking the question, what would it look like to give accessible tools, um, and, and an accessible pathway because the the, the pathway for women isn't clear and it's not lineal, you know, um, in my twenties, I wrestled with what am I going to be like if I marry? What's it going to be like if I don't? Then when I get married, it's like, what, how will having kids change this? How will each kid change this? Mm-hmm. Um, how does them start in school or any needs they have changed? Uh, looking after fa- there's all kinds of things. How do I make it work? And do, can I see anybody who's doing what I'm doing and all of the, or what I'm dreaming even, can I see anybody doing what I'm dreaming? And, um, and if I can't see anybody doing what I'm dreaming, should I be doing this? Yeah. And so I wanted to address some of those situations, but also some of the practicalities, because I, again, I've not met many women. I've not met many leaders, period, who haven't carried scars, mm-hmm. who haven't been wounded along the way, men yeah. and women who haven't been wounded along the way. So it's like, okay, how do we process these things? Because I think sometimes in that bid to get to that table, we, we take some hits, but 
for the sake of us wanting to be faithful to that call, we push through, but we pick up scars. And so I wanted to talk about the scars that we pick up, how we look after our bodies in the process of this and having to look at leadership in the context of the life we actually have, not just this aspirant leadership identity, which is not real for our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and so that, that, those were the things behind it. And because it came out of... Um, reflecting on this in the context of developing women in the context of seeing their lives um, come together there are questions and things at the end they were the kinds of interactions that I've seen happening over the years um yeah. I wanted it to be a resource yeah it's so good and it's and of course I've I've got my copy already and and just love it and it's so much so much of the stuff over the years that I feel like I've I've seen you do and I've actually had you pour into my life and my leadership personally mm-hmm. and it's some of those things that I'm always you know telling people like oh my gosh I remember when Joe mentored me through this and let me share this with you because it's so powerful it's like all the the best of those nuggets in one in one book which oh, is stuff. fantastic so yeah I mean I would encourage everybody obviously to go grab a copy of Ready to Rise because um, it's such a such a fantastic resource. And we'll have everything in the show notes too, how they can connect with you and learn mm-hmm. more about you and get a copy of the book and right. all that good stuff. Um, the, the last thing that I want to ask you, because I love how you've been talking about this idea of um, the, you know, the table and building the table and building your own table. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about just in my own process of growing and healing and maturing and really settling my identity was that idea of well, what, what does leadership really mean and look like? And the idea of enoughness, that was kind of one of the key things that I feel like you really mentored and ministered yeah. to my life, you know, and so often what we see, especially in our culture, you know, in Western culture is like the yeah. table has to be big. It has to be a yeah. big, fancy, bright, shiny farmhouse table. And, and so often I find myself talking to leaders who are like, you know, the thing that I feel called to do, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually, it's, it's a bistro table. It's, it's a two seater, you know, or it's, it's a bunch of cushions in my living room and, and yeah. there's not even a table. It's, it's a, it's a very casual like cushion environment. And so can you just kind of give a word of, of wisdom and also encouragement, maybe even just a little bit of a, a, a prophetic word to those who are listening, who feel like, okay, I have some ideas. I have some things that I would love to pursue. Um, but I feel like my table is, is actually kind of simple and small and I'm just worried that it doesn't matter. Yeah, I I mean, I think what I'm struck by in this current crisis that we find ourselves in, in this global pandemic, is our understanding of influence and good leadership has been turned on its head. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the people that we are now considering essential and realizing are essential Mm -hmm. and how we are... I think even in the context of grocery stores where people are disinfecting and cleaning them so that we are healthy and safe and protected people that we once would have ignored who we're realizing are protecting our very lives now. Mm-hmm. Um, those in janitorial services who, because of their work, we are safe and healthy and well. Right. Do you know what I mean? Essential is changing and um, who are being intentional with their influence, who are using their influence for the masses, not on a stage, not um, in some glorious thing, but who are just showing up with what, with what they have. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, so I found it helpful. It's been a good disruption that, and I, and I hope it's a disruption that stays. Um, mm-hmm. 
in our understanding that we don't go back to just rewarding people for, do you know what I mean, for other things and without recognizing the incredible things that everybody's doing. But I would say, I would say to us um, that in some ways, when we look at the world around us, there are certain styles and, and in different cultures, this is true as well. There are certain styles of leadership and certain visible expressions of leadership that are most encouraged, admired and monetized. Mm-hmm. And and often monetization and fame have been the ways that we've used to validate those forms of leadership. When actually, mm-hmm. for us, calling, that's it. Are we being faithful mm-hmm. to live consistently with to the people that God designed and created us to be? Are we being obedient to the word he spoke over our lives? That is, that, there it is. Um, I'm not saying that makes it easy because walking following jesus never has been do you know what i mean he called us to pick up a cross daily there was an indicator there on the ease levels um but but i would say that i would enc- i would encourage you to to live and lead consistently with the way god has designed you knowing that he didn't do that by accident he didn't do that as a concession he didn't be like oh my gosh i did, i made them that way but these aren't just good things they are celebrated by god and planned and and you know we are his workmanship his masterpiece creating christ to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do so the way he's wired your gifts he did in advance which means that he knew that they were needed for this time they were valuable for this time they were a contribution for this time whatever society's got on it in its mind about what's valuable god already knew its value and so that's where we start in our place of faithfulness with that um and our sense our sense of identity in that because it roots us differently yeah, that is so good. That's gold. That's so much wisdom right there. Thank you so much. Um, I know that, I mean, it's resonating with me and and I know that that's going to resonate with those who are listening as well. And so I just, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it, you know, because every day I'm just grateful for your impact and your influence. And so just thank mm-hmm. you for your obedience and your influence in my life has absolutely been one of the key factors that God has used to transform me and my identity and my leadership and my calling. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely where I am today because you do the work that you do and you make yourself so accessible and available. And so it is, it is truly an honor and a privilege. And I'm excited to get to share that with my community and and with my people and with those that are listening. Um, It's so valuable. And so, especially with all the craziness going on in the world right now, um, just on behalf of all of us, I want to say thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's been good to be here. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to the Table Podcast and follow along on social media at the Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.